This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. In a recent broadcast, we spoke to Robin Vincent and Tom Lynch from the Hill Church in Swansea, who are also involved with the Matthews House Project in their city. In the broadcast, they spoke about how a church plant can engage in the public square. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that broadcast. You can find the full notes on everything that Robin and Tom said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 115. So here are Robin and Tom. So I'm just going to quickly give some context really for the title of the talk, um, which is Inhabiting the Public Square. I think that that title came about from a, a conference we attended last year in June, a leaders conference in Milton Keynes. And the guy Bob Roberts was speaking and he used that phrase, inhabiting the public square. The way I kind of understand it is this, that churches are meant to be a force for good and a force for the gospel in the location of where they live. And that is certainly really the prayer that we prayed right at the beginning of the Matthews House journey, that we would be a force for good, a force for the gospel and have the resources to do something in our city. And the context for Matthews House, and I'm only going to spend a few minutes on this, and I'm going to let Tom just unpack how it all works and and why the city is engaged with us. But the context is really quite simple in that we believe that the Bible teaches that in uh, Galatians 2.10, we read that the church, the early church, whether they were speaking to Gentiles or Jews, had a heart uh, for the poor. In other words, there is a conversation that goes on and says that if you've been entrusted with the grace of God, if you've got the responsibility to preach the gospel, then you should also be eager to remember the poor. And personally, I've always been really, really stirred by the proverb 19, the proverb in 1917, which says that if you uh, give to the poor, you lend to the Lord and he will repay you for what you do. So for us, the journey has been an amazing one in terms of Matthew's house in that we in doing what we've been doing. We've attracted the attention of the BBC. We're actually on BBC One. It's actually on iPlayer at the moment. We were on BBC One uh, this last week and we've attracted attention from ITV and media outlets. So we've been on national news and we've been in the local news on several occasions now. And the basic principle of Matthew's House is built around a real simple concept, which is this, that in uh, the book of Matthew, 28 chapters, there are four verses that Matthew gives over to his own personal testimony. And they are in Matthew 9 verses 9 to 13. And what happens is this guy, he ends up following Jesus and he brings Jesus back to his house where there is an, any kind of, every kind of person is attracted to this guy's house and they are amongst Jesus. And Jesus says to them or says to the Pharisees who are asking, why does Jesus hang out with these kind of people, these kind of people who are at the beaten, the broken, the bottom of the pile, the bruised, the battered. He says, why does he hang out with these kind of people is the Pharisees' accusation. And Jesus says, don't you understand? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And really, for us, one thing we've drawn out of Matthew's story in that uh, chapter nine is this, that Jesus was willing to be around people in a compassionate way, yet he was never compromised. He was around people in a compassionate way, And he was never compromised. 
And in the midst of being around those people, he basically exampled what hospitality should look like to us as Christians, as Christ followers. And he also brought hope. And so for us, we've called our building in the centre of the city, Matthew's House, Hospitality and Hope in the Heart of the City. I'm now going to hand over to Tom, um, or hopefully that will now go over to Tom and he will explain and unpack the project a bit further. Brilliant. Thank you for having me and things like that. Thank you, Robin. Um, when we talk about Matthew's house, often we get so um, excited about it every time we talk about it. And so I've been limited to a little bit of time at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to share a few things. One of the things is uh, Matthew's house. What is it? It's a big, lovely building in the heart of Swansea. Um, it's probably on one of the roughest streets in Swansea. It has a lot of um, crime, pr prostitution, um, substance misuse and all things like that. Um, and in the beginning, when we started, we, we were a church that was excited and we just wanted to do something, um, share our love for Jesus and, and people. Um, so, yeah, we got together in someone's house one day. Um, we ended up basically praying about a load of things and God was in it from day one. And it just happened to be that um, over a period of time, um, God just surprised us in ways that we could never imagine and it enabled us to purchase this lovely building. So um, because of the Matthew 99 story, we just felt it so applicable to call it Matthew's house because we want it to be a home where people come into, they can meet Jesus, but anybody's welcome, no matter what they're going through, the circumstances they've been through, going through or going or going to be going through, um, that they're welcome to come into Matthew's house. Um, so how it works is it's set up as its own initiative. Um, so the Hill Church has, has led it, has started it, um, financed it, but we set it up to be its own initiative in Swansea. Um, so it's accessible for everybody, whether you have a faith or not. Um, it's the idea is we want to give hospitality and hope in as many ways as we can. So we've spent a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, yeah, just loads of things on the project. We've prayed that God's in it throughout. Um, and one of the beautiful things is throughout of it, we've just been had so many prayers answered, knowing that God's with us in the whole project. Um, so Matthew's house and then what we do in Matthew's house is we've opened projects. We've got loads that we want to open, two already that we've opened in the last 15 months, the journey that we've been on. Um, and one of, one of the projects we have is called Matt's Cafe, um, which Robin mentioned it was on the BBC on Tuesday, um, which has just been a bit insane. Um, really, really exciting. We've been on the ITV, um, working with colleges, universities, schools. Um, local businesses, companies, other charities around us. And it's because of the projects that we're, we've built um, and we're using to deliver that hospitality and hope. So Matt's Cafe, um, very successful volunteer-led project. Basically, we intercept food from all over Swansea. Um, currently, we started this week, and today was our second collection from Lidl. Um, we get food from Max Spencer's, Tesco, Nando's. Um, we get stuff from local farmers. Um, we get stuff from fishmongers, market stores, all places like that. And people just give us the stuff that they aren't able to sell. And it's still really, really good stuff. So we, we collect it. We've got an army. We call a family of volunteers. 
Um, currently, it's over 70, of which probably about 30, 40% of them um, have a faith and the rest don't, which is just unreal on its own. Um, and then we make lovely meals and we share it with people who need it. Um, so since we've been open about 15 months ago, we've served 15,000 meals and we're only open three days a week. Um, we've given out loads of food parcels. So it's not something we do, but it's like going the extra mile again. So we've given out um, over 100 food parcels to people in extremely um, difficult circumstances. Um, one of the other projects that we do, so sorry, um, with Max Cafe then, in order for people to come and enjoy it with us, these lovely meals that we make, um, we've made it pay as you feel. So we've joined with the Real Junk Food Project, um, taken their model and used it for Max Cafe. So if people don't have the finance to eat, um, then they can still come and eat lovely meals of us. And really, there's, there's always food there. There's always stuff to take as well. Um, and the idea is we just want to feed bellies, not bins. So that's the that's Matt's Cafe project, which is quite exciting. We've got the Homeless Period project, which is dignity packs. Um, we, we collect sanitary items, hygiene items, make lovely little packs and give them out to people. We give them out to organizations and everything like that. Um, so those are two projects. We've got loads of others we want to start up, one being a buddy service, one being a laundry service, one being a shower service. Um, and it, we just want to give hospitality and hope for our little home in the city. It's quite a big church, old church building, but we call it our home and we want to share that with the city. Um, so when we're talking about inhabiting the public square, it's just been insane. When, when we when we had the building and we opened it up, um, there was already people that felt welcome into the building that we were newly part of and newly taken over. It was as if they were welcoming us, and that's the community around us. And since then, since that day, it's just been more people joining on, um, more people joining our volunteer team, more guests coming through the door that we're able to support and help and guide and um, influence in a positive way. Um, and, and, and it's just incredible. And I think it, what, what's been a real eye-opener for us is we're in it and it is a, sometimes about location it is about going to them and um, going to people who need us rather than waiting for them to come through our doors um, and what we found um, as a church is we've got 70 volunteers that a lot of them don't have a faith but they're already in the church building and that's been the church's biggest issue is getting people through the front door so we've got hundreds of people now that feel welcome in our home um, so when we do stuff um, that involves like the church does for outreach stuff, it's so easy to welcome and say, look, come along. You know where it is. Um, so there's, there's loads of really, really, really great opportunities that we've had um, with Matthew's house. Um, and it's just been really, really exciting. So some of the highlights for us. Uh, we we went to um, a church festival recently and one of the guys that came with us um, was with me in the early days, building stuff, fixing stuff in Matthew's house. He didn't have a faith. And because of his volunteer on Matt's Cafe and some alpha courses that we run, we ended up baptizing him this year. And then he came with us to Catalyst. And it's just been incredible to see this guy grow and become a real man of God. Um, but we are getting opportunities after opportunities. And like Robin said about being on the BBC and ITV, we're getting local businesses 
um, come to us. And, and how we're seeing it is we've now become a bit of a platform where people can offer their time and their skills and things like that to get involved with the project, knowingly, <clears throat> knowing that it's run by the Hill Church. It's, it's financed um, by the Hill Church mainly, but also by a group of people that give regularly regular donations monthly. Um, and, and these people, are, there's, there's so many opportunities where people are coming to us because we're in the public square. So just over the road, we've got a university and Matthew's house is now part of the curriculum for them. Um, they have to organise an event, fundraise and deliver the money to us in order to pass their business course. It's just insane. Um, but just today, many of you will know that this week is Volunteers Week. Um, we've been part of a few things this week. We were able to give out um, awards to people who have been with us for over a year. Many don't have a faith. Um, but today we we run an event with Swansea City Volunteering Services, so the group that oversees a lot of the volunteering organisations around Swansea. And we hosted an event that was a celebration for all the volunteer organisations all over Swansea. And there was literally tens and tens of groups of people. There were probably about 50, 60 people who were represented from all different charities. And we hosted it. And we've only been around for 15 months. And it was an absolute privilege to be part of. And I got the, I got the ability to stand up in front of all these people that wanted to know more and just basically say the story, share the story, share how Matthew's House is about, share why it is about, share what we want to do and why we want to do it. And there was loads of people listening. And it's about inhabiting the public square. It's about meeting people. Um, and if, if you asked if, if this was something that we planned and it was going to go this way a year ago, then we probably would have been like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. But it's just been an incredible journey um, of loads of things. And two months into it, um, last year, we had our first little thank you card. And on that thank you card, the message said to Matt's Cafe, thank you for the food from a hungry person. And those are the moments. There was no other thing on it. It was just that, plain and simple. And those are the moments where you realise we're doing a good thing and we're meeting people. And recently, we, we were sharing a time, probably about two, three months, with, with a couple that were sleeping on the beach front in the tent completely homeless, waiting for this and that. But they felt welcome with us. They kept coming and they gave us a thank you card when they left. And it was all, it was really, really soppy, um, really, really lovely. And they, as soon as they found out they were getting a home, we were the first people they wanted to share that with. And it's those moments that you can walk alongside people um, and help them and support them and do those things that people trust you, people ask you why what what are you doing what are you spending all your time doing this stuff about and those are the beautiful moments um where you can get involved really into people's lives um so yeah matthew's house has been an incredible journey those two thank you cards in between that we have had hundreds of stories um what one lady at the moment um, she spent four or five months with us last year and she was amazing she applied for a grant for us and we ended up winning £2,000 to build vegetable beds, and she's just gone to university. But her life has been 20 years living on benefits, 
without any education, without even a job. She never worked in 20 years. And she's got seven kids. And she's been through a whole lot of stuff. And that same woman who had no faith and is now going to university because of the support that we've put in working alongside of her. In the last few weeks, one of her friends, one of her really close friends, um, has got leukemia. And she is texting me every night, asking the church for prayer, asking the church for support. And it's those moments that wouldn't be possible without the work of what Matthew's House does. Okay, guys, I think I'm back now. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Um, So I just want to now finish up really by sharing some principles or lessons that we've learned through this process of the last 15 months. Well, really, probably going back two years, actually, in a bit, because it took us a long time to actually get the building that we were in. Um, But actually, before I do that, I just wanted to share two particular stories that, for me, that have made a real impact on me. And they're both this week. One was a volunteer on our WhatsApp group put this after watching the programme on uh, the TV. Just watch the programme, so proud of the team, and to play a small part is one of my proudest accomplishments. Like so many who pass through those gates of Matthew's house, I've struggled with mental and physical health, and I can honestly say being part of Matt's Cafe family is a lifesaver. And that just has humbled me, that story. And another one was on Sunday after... um, speaking uh, a lady came up to me who was not she's a visitor at Matthew's house she looked fairly well fairly smart fairly in good order as it were Um, but she came up to me and she just asked uh, that she actually said she was in recovery and she wondered whether I would be able to help her get some food and when we gave her a food parcel um, she actually started to cry she me and kissed me which is unusual for me and uh, secondly she hugged and kissed one of our volunteers and so it's just again to me that's demonstrated and maybe this is the first lesson that I've learned is the sheer power of hospitality hospitality runs through the gospels uh, it runs through the bible and we should not underestimate the power of hospitality in our community so that's the first principle would be good to share the second principle that would be good to share as well is that actually this idea of being not only a force for the gospel, but a force for good is entirely biblical. I would point you, if you're not aware of these things, but to the promise that was made to Abraham in the book of Genesis by God to not only be a nation that is blessed with the gospel, but also be a blessing for the nations. In other words, a force for good. And also in Titus 2, you read a wonderful account of the gospel in about verses 10 to 14. And right at the end, it says, and be zealous for good works. So we should be, as the churches, have a real motivation, not only for uh, the hospitality side of things, but to be a force for the gospel and the good. Another principle I'd like to share is this idea that for us, we never planned this. God took us to the corner. You know, over the years, I've been a church planter and there's a good little phrase I learned some years ago from a, a guy called David. And he said, you know, as a church plant, you're only meant to be a bakery. You don't become Tesco straight away. In other words, don't bite off more than you can chew. But however, there is another side to Christianity as well that I would say in any kind of church plant or any church, which is this. We need to be people who listen to the voice of God. I love the story in Mark 4, where just before the calming of the storm, where Jesus says, let's cross to the other side. They're going to the other side of town. They're going to the rough part. They're going to the place where people are living without hope. And there's a sense of when you get that nudge from God, you should go to the other side and be willing to go. You should be willing to go to the corner and not have it all mapped out. Another principle we've learned is, and I use this phrase, that we should have our oil lamps topped up. 
one of the mistakes we made, I believe, in the early days of the hill, and therefore we weren't ready, really weren't ready for what God would do. It's a bit like the five um, foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. They go out to meet the bridegroom and the five wise ones have got their oil lamps topped up and the five foolish ones have not. When the bridegroom turns up or just before the bridegroom turns up, the foolish virgins oil runs out and they have to go off and go and buy it somewhere. And um, for me, God really spoke to me about that, about having your resources ready for when Jesus turns up. I think too often as churches or charities or whatever you might find yourself being, we have this obsession with spending our money, believing that if we've been given it, we should immediately spend it. And I think there is a more important principle about being an excellent steward of our money and being in a position ready for when Jesus turned up. And I felt like a reflection on Matthew's houses that we were caught unawares. We weren't as ready as we could have been. And we actually had to rely somewhat on other people's generosity. We saw the provision of God, but we had to rely on other people's generosity as well to get us into the position we were in at the beginning. Another principle I want to share is that we identified a need in our city and we opened it up to our city. In other words, we've never said that we were going to do this for our city. We've always felt that we were to do this with our city. In other words, we opened up our arms knowing that we were Christians. We knew that we had compassion. We knew that we'd be uncompromising in who we were. And we have always invited people to join us and asked them not to be uncompromising in who they are. We believe that we will be a witness for Jesus in our very lives, in our words, in our actions. We don't need to get people to compel to believe a certain set of things or whatever it may be before they work with us. So we've always opened our arms up to the city and we will work with people for a common goal of eagerly remembering the poor. Off the back of that, then, another principle was that we have learned is that we have created a community on the back of a crowd. So what we discovered early on was that we had loads and loads of people who wanted to work with us, who wanted to hear from us. And we have therefore got probably, I would argue, a crowd of about 400 people um, that want to hear from us every month or in regular contact with us. And we've got a community, probably about 100 people or more now maybe maybe it's even 200 people who effectively we're trying to build a community with them so we use the term Matthew's house family we have whatsapp group we have volunteer nights and we love being with them and we hope that they love being with us because we are just people with a common purpose of hospitality we have a desire to bring hope into people's lives obviously as Christians we talk about having a hope that goes beyond the grave but everybody believes in some form of hope Everybody's got hope for tomorrow if they're operating, um, you know, in a way that means their life is together. And so we just had that common ground. We built a crowd up and then a community off the back of that crowd. And that is just a real good principle to remember. Really, Another one is uh, we've never hidden our Christianity. So we early on decided that whilst we would separate out Matthew's house in one form, and I'll talk about that in a second, we would not separate Matthew's house out from the church as a charity, but rather it would all come under the church. And the reason we did that is because we, whilst we recognised that some people would want to buy into what we're doing, either in time, talent or treasure, because uh, they, if they didn't know we were Christians, we just felt it was better for us to be transparent about who we are. We want people to be themselves and we want to be ourselves. So we've never hidden our Christianity and simply we've focused on that common ground of remembering the poor and building relationships with people just like anybody else would in the world. 
The thing that we have done, which I think has been really helpful for us, is we separated out the bank accounts. Quite early on, we, I think, grasped the idea that people would want to give us money for the work of Matthew's House, but they wouldn't want to necessarily feel that they were funding the other activity of the Hill Church. And so we um, deliberately, right from the beginning, separated out the bank accounts so that any money given to the work and development and maintenance of Matthew's House and the advancement of Matthew's House would go direct into this single account and therefore we would not be compromised and we would have great clarity with our city and we would be full of integrity. And so that's been really, really helpful. Another principle that I've learned over the years and I've applied here in Matthew's house, and it again has been incredibly invaluable, which is this, keep my eye on the numbers. I really do spend a lot of time keeping my eye on the finances. I think it's a massively spiritual activity to be a person that really understands the finances of what we're doing, really understands where the money's coming from, how we're using it whether we're being uh, full of integrity, whether we're operating with transparency. And so I can't emphasise enough. I think too many leaders can fall into the trap of thinking it's not spiritual and therefore they almost uh, defer the management of the finances or they defer the analysis of the finances to others. And I think that's a mistake. And I think as good stewards of the finances that God has given us and we will give an account for them, we really should work out smart ways for us to keep an eye on the numbers. And I think the final thing I'd like to say is probably just maybe it's just re-emphasizing what I said at the beginning was that we didn't have it all mapped out. We've never had it all mapped out. We've often been playing catch up with what we feel God is doing. But we've always sought to just keep listening to God keep praying for his grace. It's not been easy. We recognise at times we've had some people who are, um, I, I almost want to call them people who are enemies of what we're doing. Some people don't like what we've done. Um, but generally we found the city has loved what we've done and we're just trying to be the most transparent, uh, good character, people of good character and do a good thing in our city. So those are the kind of principles I want to share. But Robin, could I just please ask you, if you could tell us the story, how did you get Matthew's house in the first place? Okay, so basically, um, the, I'll advertise the BBC programme that we've just been on. It's called Britain's Charity Cheats, um, which doesn't sound like a very good uh, TV programme to be on, especially off the back of what I've just said. But basically, the building before was a real hub and place for the poor run by another charity called the Cyrenians. Unfortunately, the finance officer of the Cyrenians stole all the money, a significant amount of money, and this uh, charity went bankrupt overnight and the building came up for sale through the receivers. But we didn't really know that, or I didn't particularly know that at the time, and I'd been particularly stirred about um, a lack of opportunity for young men in the city following a conversation with someone. And I, I used a phrase I was provoked within, which is a kind of reference to Acts 17, where Paul walks around the city of Athens. And so on that particular night, I was I, I felt the prompting of God, really, to go down to another church building in the city that was derelict and up for sale and lay my hands on it and just pray, God, give me this building to make it a force for good and a force for the gospel and the resources to do that in this city. And I did that twice. I lay my hands on two of the, the doors, got back in my car, thought, well, if that never happens, I'll never tell anyone. But if it does, I'll do a story. And who knows, maybe one day I'll be on broadcast with Rada and I'll be able to tell that story. And 
And the truth of that, what happened then was a, a, basically within six weeks of that happened, there were a number of things that happened around money at that time. But within six weeks, somebody said to me, have you heard about this uh, building called St. Matthew's um, on the other side of the city? And I went down there and the difference between St. Matthew's and the building that I'd laid hands on, the building I laid hands on probably needed about two million pounds worth of work and was up for sale for about four hundred thousand pounds. And the building of St. Matthew's that we ended up buying, and it now is Matthew's house, is right in the heart of the city. Two million pounds worth of work had already been done on it, and it was on for a very, very low price. And so we just saw the provision of God in that. And I really do believe with all my heart that that was an answer to the prayer that I prayed on that door that day. Absolutely. And could you could you tell us, uh, either of you really, uh, how long did it take you um, from the first when you actually acquired Matthew's house and then, you know, the process of getting the idea of what you want to do with it until you opened Matt's, ha- Matt's Cafe? Okay. Um, I probably answered a few bits of it and I'll, I'll leave Tom to answer a bit about the cafe maybe. Um first of all, it, it took a long time. It took about a year to get the building uh, because of we were dealing with I think it was because we've got a long term lease of a 90 year lease on the building, which, as my son says, he'll be dead when that runs out. So I thought that puts that in perspective. Um, So it it took us about a year because we were dealing, I think, with three sets of solicitors. Um, And then when we got the building, um, there was a lot of sorting out to do and a lot of hours of work. Um, And it was only when I was raising funds for the building, trying to get the money together to actually buy the thing. A friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, he challenged me as to what he loved what I was talking about with the poor, but he really challenged me as to what I was going to call this thing. And it was really during that week I prayed and I felt God speak to me about the Matthews house idea, which has a great irony because Matthew himself was a dishonest finance officer, which, as I say, if you watch that BBC One programme, Britain's Charity Cheats, you'll realise that Mark Davis, the gentleman concerned, sadly, was also a dishonest finance officer. Then once we got that idea of Matthew's house, I'll now hand over to Tom and he can tell us really, you guys, how, how we got Matt's cafe kicked off. Yeah, so um, it was March last year. Um, we, we When we had the building, even though it took ages to get it, we then spent probably nine to 12 months getting it up and ready. Um, so that's there was plaster coming off the walls. There was loads of painting needing. There was loads of sorting, all different things like that. Um, and there was just loads of people. So our, our church service was bring a pack lunch on a Sunday, come at eight, leave at like five and just bring some dirty clothes to get involved. And we may sing a song. You know, it was but it was brilliant because loads of us pulled together. People really got excited about what we were doing and committed so much. Um, and then it got to a moment where I think we were all quite excited about Matt's Cafe. Um, but just before that, we, we were still wondering what to do in this setup phase. Um, me and Robin, a friend of ours, had heard about uh, the Real Junk Food Project, which is um, an organic franchise where they intercept food waste and make lovely meals because we wanted to be something sustainable um, and not kill ourselves doing it or kill the project. Ooh, apologize for that that's um food collections actually from Matthew's house um so it's quite applicable anyway um yeah so we we decided to investigate and we found one about an hour away from Swansea went up there and on the way there we were both overwhelmed with just life 
we I, I was um, lab manager in Talbot Steelworks, fostering youth work, um, chemistry degree. Robin was doing loads of things as well as running a church, full time job, family, all these things. So we were in this car for an hour thinking, I'm hoping it's going to be a nightmare um, so that we wouldn't have to commit. And then we went there, spoke to the guy, had a meal, went to the loo afterwards. And we basically just said it'd be morally wrong not to do it. Um, so we got excited, put a management team together, um, got even more excited about it. It was probably about six or seven of us um, and then decided probably at the end of 2016, um, this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. Let's call it Matt's Cafe, the branding, all that stuff. And then we decided, well, let's just open. People weren't giving us food at that point and we didn't have volunteers, but we just felt on our hearts um, and it's definitely we, we we knew God was in it because of the providing and and everything else going on. And we just felt right. Let's do some taster Mondays. See how it goes. After the second one, it just went insane. We had offers for food. We had people come in, put up volunteer applications in and basically went from there. So three days a week we're doing now and 15,000 meals later. And here we are. So. Brilliant, yeah. Well, Rather, when you can, start- I, Rather, can I just say something? Sorry, just to say, because um, I feel like Tom just shared our bowel movements or something at the end of our time in when we were looking at a project. The relevance of that is we were actually standing at the urinals, and I said to Tom, "Well, what do you think then?" And he said it would be morally wrong not to do something. So that's the relevance of the toilet bit of that story. <laughs> Otherwise, get slightly missed if we don't have that. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. <laughs> when you when you started Matt's Cafe, did you actually dream that, that you're going to be reaching so many people? Obviously, your heart was for the poor to start with. So the idea is, you know, to feed the poor, to you know, mend the broken. But did you actually did you think that it's going to take off like this? Go on, Tom. Okay, I was waiting for his nod. That's what that was. Um, No. So when we started Matt's Cafe, I did my utmost best to stay a little bit of a distance and just fix the whole building. So um, because I worked in the steelworks, I had four days off at a time, but then four intense working days. So my time off wasn't the same time off as everyone else. So I'd, I'd get some friends along and we'd do the painting, building, fixing, um, applications, social media, things like that. And I was trying, my, even though I loved it and it was amazing, I knew my capacity levels were getting maxed out. Um, so when we first started, I, I was just a volunteer and it wasn't my job and it wasn't my life. But as it started, it just became my life. Um, and it was at a point where I rinsed all my annual leave in a couple of weeks and we had to make a decision with Robin and the leadership team that we needed someone to run this. So the decision in that that I made was I can't do both, you know. Um, so so anyway, that decision Robin and the leadership team put together and asked me to be project manager. Um, there was some obviously we had to think about it and it's quite it was quite a shock in a way as well. Um, but now my wife looks after me, which is really, really lovely um, and allows me uh, to do the stuff at Matthew's house and and make it part of our lives and things like that. And to answer your question, no, we didn't think it would be as successful as this. I don't think we actually thought about the success. We just thought about the need. 
and that, that's what we wanted to do. Um, so working with the city, again, identifying the need, the knights needed, the people who need it and things like that. Yeah. That's what we focused on. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us a little bit, how did you engage the city, actually? Because that would be interesting for people who are thinking of maybe doing something like that. So what if a church planter wanted to do something similar? What would you, what would you do? How did, what would you advise them, actually, to do? Okay. I think, yeah, okay. So I would say um, we probably, as churches, don't realise that we do things really, really well. Um, over the years, I've put various different events on as a church and I've had people leave those events and say that was fantastic. That was the highlight of my month, my year. And and in one sense, I've been a little bit thrown by that. I'm going, really? Wow. Wow. You know, so I think people are more isolated. They don't have the community that we have often. Not always. Obviously, that would be unfair, but more Sometimes I reflect on the very idea that um, uh, people will come around my house who are in the church and they will, well, most people who are in the church who say they come around my house say I don't make them a cup of coffee, uh, which doesn't do a good advert for hospitality. But what I do say is they know where the coffee and the cups are and they put the kettle on and they don't even ask. And I think over the years I've noticed that friends of mine who are not in that kind of community really do are taken a little bit aback by that kind of sense of belonging and family. So I think one way you can engage the city is by being a family, but opening your arms up and out to people and saying, look, you can be part of what we're doing. Um, actually, we're quite good at being organised. We're quite good at planning things. We've got a great visionary as our leader, not the church leader, but Jesus Christ and the Bible gives us incredible wisdom, incredible insight, even regarding dealing with conflict and things like that. So what I think what, what we're really saying is the best way of engaging the city is to find something that you can do, and it will be unique to every location, and say, how can you open that up that the world might see the way you work and operate, as opposed to just hear what you speak about on a Sunday, but rather that they might get exposure to the things that Bible talks about as being really important for human flourishing. And for us, we thought we've got a, a bit of a, um, an opportunity in this building. We put up a banner right from the beginning that said we've saved this building. There was loads of media activity about who would save this building. So we put a, a banner up immediately saying we saved this building. Uh, give us a moment, please. But we, you know, we're all volunteers. Give us a moment to kind of find our feet. But if you want to get in touch, drop us an email and we will keep you on the list. And immediately we started getting people contact us. We've had the privilege and blessing i guess i can't pretend we haven't of a, a graphic designer in our midst who's got a love for the poor as well and he has probably helped us go to another level and he has just given us hours and hours of his incredible talent to make what we do look good so you know if you've got a good the the, the um culture we live in now is very visual um and so people do judge a book by its cover so we look good before people have even looked in and that's been helpful as well but i'm not sure that's really the pulling thing i think the pulling thing has been the powerful message that we've got of doing something for other people and people really aspire to that and when they touch that and then they encounter the community they are gradually drawn into that and love it absolutely love it so that's i, I think that's answering your question i hope so but feel free to yeah. seek clarification 
Yeah. I just wanted to ask you then about the church, because obviously you attract the people from outside the church. How, how was it? Did Have you taken everyone on, the, on a journey with you? Well, was everyone on board with the project or, you know, what was there was there some people who weren't so enthusiastic? <laughs> um De- definitely the the latter um to some extent i mean a friend a friend of mine a wise guy i know said you know when you move location or you take the church in a slightly different direction or in our case in a quite a very different direction uh, you're changing the destination of the bus and people might want to get off and i think you've got to make allowance for that so we we realized that secondly we were engaging in a battle we believe the bible talks about life being a battleground not a not a beach where you sunbathe. And we found that there were some circumstances where we would say a foothold was already gained in someone's life and we lost them quite early on. And that was quite tricky and difficult for us. And then other people gradually got involved. And, you know, the truth is you're always discipling people and you're taking them on a journey to follow Jesus. So some people got it straight away. Some people got it because they were just servant-hearted. Others thought there was a hundred other people doing the work. They didn't need to do it. They weren't a decorator. Why would they need to decorate? I think they didn't really know there wasn't even a hundred people in the church, but that was their understanding at the time. And, and as the more in fact they got involved, the more they realized, wow, there wasn't a hundred people involved. Gosh. And they missed an opportunity maybe to not be involved. So we've had a real mix. But one thing we said right from the beginning was, The Hill and Matthew's House are not the same. In other words, Matthew's House is an initiative of the Hill Church. It is not the Hill Church. Uh, You can belong and be part of the Hill and be part of that community and follow Jesus and be faithfully a member of the Hill and not really take any interest in Matthew's House whatsoever. And so we've maintained that, believing it's better to have people who want to build that area of the church with you. And not worry about the others, because that's fine. You know, not everybody's called to do what we're doing and not everybody's meant to do it like the level that we do it. We understand that. So we're, we're, we're gracious in that. When, when you, Robert, when you were talking about um, before about some people, you know, were oppos- opposing you, did you mean mainly from the church or was there some opposition from from the people um, outside as well? Um, people, people didn't oppose us in the church. I mean, people had questions and they had concerns. Um, and often the mistake you, one can make, I suppose, is you, you've carried this for so long yourself, you forget to take other people with you along the journey. So the issue there is primarily communication and clarity and allowing people to have questions and doubts and to gradually adopt what you're doing as well, rather than, you know, buy in straight away. One of our you know, excellent leaders, a real pillar in the church. He's more cautious than I am. And he would be more, therefore, more questioning of the decisions we were making early on. And I used to initially, I knew that would kill my faith a bit if I wasn't careful. But he wasn't, that sounds, makes him sound worse than he was, but he he would be more negative or more questioning, which was a strength for his as well as a weakness. But you can make the mistake of thinking that guy's not with me. But actually, again, I knew he was with me. His finances, his time told me he was with me. And I had to remind myself that he was simply trying to do what was good for the church and good for me by challenging it at times. So that was in within the church. Um, outside the church, um, we've definitely had some people, not many, uh, look to undermine what we've done, look to be uh, – people are suspicious. I mean, so – 
silly because we've never hidden our Christianity. We're not trying to be somebody we're not. Um, Tom, do you want to just briefly, maybe, I think if you can, share that occasion of somebody just trying to secretly film and all that? Yeah. So um, what we've had literally thousands of people um, that we've been able to get in contact, but there are the couple that you, you, you can't help, you know, you, you try to, to the best of your power, but you, you just can't, you know. Um, and there's a season for everyone, I believe, as well. But th- this one incident was um, uh, a lady in her 50s, I believe, and, and she just got a little bit fed up, a little bit disgruntled about what we're doing. It didn't basically didn't understand what we were doing. That's what it felt like halfway through. Um, but, but the incident was, um, she, she was, she was very rude to volunteers and, and a lot of our volunteers, what people don't know is there's, there's many that are really vulnerable themselves. I think we've all got vulnerabilities. Um, and, and there's some like Robin mentioned that message where there's so many vulnerable people, not just the guests, but in the team, um, anyway, this this woman, we've got rules, we've got house rules, as every, any house would, um, and she was, you know, verbally abusing, like rude, just really difficult, and and after a warning, just to say, look, this this place is run by volunteers, um, she still wasn't understanding, and she still was very difficult. Um, so sometimes we have to do the thing that kills us the most and ask people to leave, you know. Um, and while doing that, while talking to this woman, um, she basically come in the building at the end of the day, started filming from what we know now um, on her way into the building with her iPad. This is someone, um, you know, obviously vulnerabilities herself and going for a really difficult time with the world. And I think just looking for someone to take it out on. Um, mm-hmm. So she, she had this iPad and she was um, videoing herself talking originally and then coming up the path, going into the building. And what she, she was looking for someone that wasn't there at the time, another guest. Um, she ended up putting her iPad down, recording on a bag, and then hid in the toilet for 10 minutes, um, trying to catch us out doing something. Well, you know, I think, I think the only thing uh, that was there was one of our volunteers who doesn't have a faith. Um, was so thankful to someone that she used the swear word in her thanks. Like, you flipping legend, but not using the flipping word, as you can imagine. Um, and then, like, so I, I needed to speak to her and talk about that. So we talked about it. And at the whole time, she's picked up this iPad and she's filming me without even knowing. And the way I know now is because she put it all over social media, all over Facebook. Um, but just to say, it was probably about 16 minutes of footage of me telling her the reasons, trying to explain the project to her, trying to explain why we can't have that bad attitude and bad behaviour and all stuff like that. Um, and the whole time she's filming, and then there was hurling abuse at me and, you know, these names. And it's just so difficult. But I think for me, I had a really good um, a really good moment in it all. And, and I think a load of times throughout the project is that I know who I'm doing this for. And it's yeah. not just the individuals in front of us. Um, but I'm doing it for Jesus, you know, and I'm trying to be as close to Jesus as I can in the in the lives around me. So I just mm-hmm. try my best, um, as best as I could. Anyway, um, after my skin, you know, going up because I was gutted, I was, you know, my blood was boiling. I was angry a little bit, not even knowing it was being filmed at the time. And then it went on to Facebook 
Um, you know, it, it, sometimes it could be good. These times it could be bad. Um, but we now got it as a training video because what happened was she put it on Facebook. Um, other people got in touch with us because they felt she was at fault and they absolutely loved the video and they're now following us, subscribe to the website and what we do because of the way that we acted, you know. Um, and I think it just shows that we you never know what's going on in people's lives. There are people that angry at the world and they may take it out of the people there in front of that moment. And you just got to be good. No, you know, you just got to try your best no matter what. But there are people out there that want to catch you out, that want to hurt you. And it gets difficult sometimes. Yeah, of course. That is a brilliant story, though. And I love that you, you're talking about being forced for good for all. And we are here, aren't we, to bring a bit of kingdom to, to people around us. But could you just, mm -hmm. both of us, maybe mm -hmm. Tom practically and Robin, could you just explain a bit um, about the interplay between good deeds and evangelism, actually, and how overt are you trying to be evangelizing people, evangelizing um, and and um, why did you do? Why did you decide to do it the way that you have? Is that me? Lego makes sense. Yeah, I mean, maybe you talk about the. I don't know. Um, I think the truth is, I think that's a real Westernized view of maybe Christianity. If we're not careful, isn't it? I think the more I've gone down this route, the more I've realised that hospitality is right at the heart of the Christian message. And there is a sense of, you know, let your good deeds be stand before men, isn't it? And they'll praise your father in heaven. And, you know, often I found through this journey and I suspect Tom's found the same. People are saying things like, this is what the church should be like. This is genuine community. And in fact, our, our, um, one of our um, now staff members, um, she doesn't have a faith we didn't require her to have a faith uh, she's she's a big fan of christianity um so that's really lovely to hear we've always been really careful about how we communicate we said we have a white hot why which is jesus christ i'm an unashamed follower of jesus so i want people to get to know me and understand that christ has worked in my own life that we're all broken battered bruised beaten at the bottom really um while we were still sinners christ died for us um and while we were dead in our sins christ died for us so i've always sort of felt that actually as a church we're not here to say oh we're doing this project so loads and loads of people will come to faith what we're doing this project is because we believe that people are made in the image of god and we believe that we should build relationships with people and be there for their human for their flourishing and their benefit as a consequence of that, inevitably, the kingdom of God advances. People want to know what motivates you. They want to know what drives you. They want to know what gives you peace. They want to know why you do things like forgive people. They want to know why you are patient, kind, full of joy. I mean, I'd like to think I am full of joy. I'm not always sure I am. But, you know, they want to know those things, and they'll ask you about your why or why. I think the more I've looked at the Bible, uh, Galatia, uh, sorry, Titus 2 is an example that promised Abraham, the more I see... The two are linked together. I think that's what the message of James says. We've never said that good deeds, who says, nobody's saying here, are they, that good deeds leads to salvation and faith in Jesus Christ? Not at all. But by knowing Jesus Christ, we will be a community that stands out. A bit like where Jesus says, 
by your um, love for one another, they will know that you're my disciples. Well, we do love for one another and we do love for our city. And I just want them to say, well, there's something driving these guys that I wish I knew what it was because it done half look attractive and I want to taste more of it and I want to know more about it. And that is an opportunity for me to share about the person that's changed my entire life. And that's all that we can do. Tom, mm. do you want to say on that? Yeah. So um, echo all Robin just said. I think for me personally, um, I spent a lot of time in Zambia when I was 18. And one of my biggest Christian teachings that I'll always hold close to my heart is I was in the shanty time, town and there was thousands of young people. And then there was kids from the age of about three to seven. Um, there was four-year-olds or babies on their backs with hardly any clothes and we were working with them and we were encouraging them and it was amazing. Um, and then they started singing this song and then we were all singing it, trying to catch on. It was their language, didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, it was one of those moments where you just say, yes, I'm going to go for it. So we, we were part of this this kind of meeting with the, with the young children and what they were saying while they had you know, one flip-flop on and half a T-shirt and a, and a baby hanging off his back, off their backs was, we want to be like Jesus. And for me, that has held so closely to my heart. And I think, it, like, every day that I'm in Matthew's house and I'm working alongside these people, and what's, what's beautiful is there's a few Christians in every little team <clears throat> um, being massive representatives and trying to be as close to Jesus as they can. And what that does is it opens huge doors absolutely ridiculous because everyone knows our white hot wise and why it's set up and why Matthew's house is there and it just we, we get people asking us for prayer you know we're, we're doing this and that basically right we had a this is a brilliant story sorry I, I don't want to talk to her um but we had the church um camp weekend just gone right and we're camping for four or five nights so we freeze a couple of meals right I had some of the volunteers offer to make me a chicken curry for my church camp and they don't have faith. And whenever does that happen, you know, and we just get these opportunities and people are asking, oh, how was it? How was it? You know, and, and, and I think being a really good ambassador for Christ is a massive evangelistic tool from those kids doing it in Zambia to us washing the dishes, taking the bins out and mopping the toilet floors. People ask us, why are you doing that? And I can tell them why. Um, and I think for me, it just opens huge doors. And I think being an example is what I want to do and what I want to do well. So, yeah. And on that, Rado, can I just say as well that we, we, you know, I would want any of our volunteers watching this would go, yeah, well, what a shock. These guys love Jesus. They talk about Jesus. Like, wow, I'm really shocked by that. Of course, they're not going to say that because we've never hidden that. But we've also been hospitable to them. We said, you don't have to do that. Come and be with us. Just be around us, you know, sit and meal with us, work with us. We love it. I mean, our, our, the volunteers we've got are utterly inspiring, utterly inspiring. I honestly, you're just incredible. And even on that video, one of our best volunteers, she shares about a vulnerability. I tell you what, that would be a good example to the church. We should be more of a church that shares about our vulnerabilities the world would listen more if we talk like normal people and then shared about Jesus off the back of it yeah so I just can't speak too highly of the guys that are with us love them to bit in all of them that is really really brilliant and you're making disciples while doing that aren't you ultimately really it's about being with people and sharing life and then 
I just we, we don't have much much time left. So I just wanted to, to to ask you, Robin. You mentioned about in the importance of keeping your lamp topped up, and actually that at the beginning that was that was one of the problems that you identified. And what can you just give us any advice to to church planters? How do we do that? How do we, you know, keep our lamp topped up? Um, okay, so I mean, it's obviously the, what I was particularly talking about there was our res- resources. I think yeah, um, exactly. it could. I, I had a, early on in the process of buying the building, I had some great advice from a guy who's uh, a more established leader than I was, and 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 I'd already was a guy that kept my eye on the finances in a good way and in a gracious way, not in a not in a. Um, if you can't do it with grace, don't do it. I mean, it will kill your heart. You know, you'll just become about the money. But um, I. He said to me, you know, you should look and see what what the deal is on the gift day because he once gave £10,000 to a gift day that totaled £11,000 and the church leader in front of him stood up and said, wow, church, you've blown me away. And he sat there thinking, but I've just given £10,000 of that. And so the danger is if we don't look at our finances, we'll speak to the church in a way, we'll, we'll read the pulse of the church in entirely the wrong way. So there is a gracious way to do it without a doubt, but I think it's good to be a steward of what we've been given. So there's that sense of it as well. The other side of keeping your whole lamp topped up, I think, is being somebody who listens or being willing to listen to the voice of Jesus. And and the phrase that I use, and I shared this at the Catalyst Festival, was, you know, better to be a, a dis, a, better to be an obedient fool than a disobedient wise person. In other words, if you think God has spoken, get on and do it. When Paul, uh, when God said to Ananias, 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 I want you to go see Paul. If Ananias had been an obe- uh, a disobedient wise person, he probably wouldn't have gone. He just said, because if I go and I get killed, everybody's going to say, what a prat. But actually, the wonderful thing about Ananias was. He was an obedient, foolish person. And as a consequence of what he did, he reached Paul. And obviously, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. The last, well, actually, two, two more questions. One, first, practically, just tell us first, where can we look on iPlayer to watch the episode from BBC? Um, BBC One. Um, if you go on to Tuesday just gone and it is yeah. the 915 program so it's on there on iPlayer um, if you search Britain's secret charity cheats it's a 45 minute episode or 42 minute episode um, and it's good to watch it all but the Swansea part and the part about us is from the minute 30 onwards and it's about 11 12 minutes excellent that, that, was, pretty, that was pretty precise wasn't it that was good, yeah. Yeah. thank you so much yeah brilliant the last question what are you hoping the Matthews House will become over the next five years? <laughs> I better answer that, Tom. <laughs> um, sustainable and with a good reputation, uh, a kingdom project. We don't want it to be about the hill. We want it to be about the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. And we want it to be something that the city of Swansea is proud of and pleased is that it's in its midst. Um, we've often talked about um, do we want it to grow bigger and bigger? And the truth is probably not. I, I suspect what we want to do is get it right and let Matthew's house function as a, as a home in the heart of the city. I think 
there is a sense of where we would say as a church that we'd love to do more other things. For example, we'd love to do some sort of second stage activity that would help people rebuild their lives beyond just what we do, which is connect with people and then link them up to other services. Um, But I think we would be mindful of not just sort of expanding Matthew's house beyond projects and being a real um, hub in the heart of the city which does, sounds a bit small-minded, but it's not. But I think if we can do that well, then we will have more resources in which to do other things as well. I don't. Would you agree with that, Tom? Yeah, yeah. I think sustainability is key, um, and and doing it well. So I, I think when we get to, it's still a startup phase. You know, we're mm. running two projects. We want to run five with other little special bits on them. Um, and I think when we get to there, it's about doing it well. It's about making it sustainable and supporting the city in other ways. And and definitely, um, yeah, I love. Yeah, it's a kingdom project. There's other churches that are involved, um, whether it's volunteering or trying to support us financially, and and it's exciting. You know, we're we're open to that because it's a kingdom project. Can I can I say one more thing very quickly? Is this to anybody listening? Sorry, Rada, I've taken it. No, no. Okay. It doesn't matter where you are. There, there are things in your town and your village and your city that are needed. It might be a play group. It might be a, a, a friend for people who are isolated. It might be a um, some form of community choir. It might be whatever it is. All I'd say is this: let the church do it. Open its doors and do it really well, and people will buy into stuff. I guarantee it. They are crying out for community. They're crying out for purpose and joy and things like that. And we love just doing it with them. It's brilliant. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes of everything that Robin and Tom had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 115. See you next time. <laughs>